Hello, and welcome on in to Dogs in Autumn, the history of American football. Today we're going to be talking about the spread of football to the far west, mainly California. But before we get started, I wanted to take the opportunity to say thanks again for the incredible growth here. I can only assume y'all have taken it upon yourselves to be my marketing team, and I deeply appreciate it. Feel free to keep it up. And feel free to hit me up if you have any burning questions you'd like me to answer. I had one a couple weeks ago. I talked about Wendell Davis on TikTok and mentioned that many believe the cause of his catastrophic injury on the field in Philadelphia was the notoriously dicey artificial turf in that stadium. I was asked to elaborate, and so I wrote a piece called Field of Bad Dreams, talking all about the perilous history of artificial turf and how the 2026 World Cup may see it relegated to the past very soon. That sounds interesting to you. Go check it out at dogsandautumn.substack.com. I'm happy to be here, and of course, very happy to have you here as well. West Coast football is a tradition all its own, and like football in the state of Texas, it maintains a special place for high school in some areas, especially Southern California. But it's also clear that football out West is changing. College football out West is potentially on the decline, maybe quite literally, in that there are fewer participating universities in the lower divisions, but also in the sense that the two major college powers in Los Angeles, which are the University of Southern California and UCLA, are leaving the Pac-12 conference behind and will be flying all the way across the country every week to play against the programs of the Big Ten, centered in the Midwest. What does this mean for football on the West Coast? I don't know. There have been a few things we've touched on in the course of this show that have fallen by the wayside. Things like the Boston game or the athletic clubs that were so important to early football. We're going to touch on those today too, by the way. You could put those things in a museum, and in some sense, that's exactly what we've done here. And I worry that West Coast football is going to become a museum exhibit, too. If it did, the commemorative plaque would tell you it began sometime in the early 1880s. you got to remember that not only is California really far from football's birthplace in the Northeast, it's all only just at this point, in the mid to late 1800s, being settled by Americans. Prior to 1848, when the first attempt at codifying what would become soccer was being made by students at Cambridge, California and much of today's American West was all Mexican territory, and much of it hadn't yet been settled by Mexico either. It was either unoccupied altogether, or only occupied by the native peoples that had always lived there. Through much of football's earliest days back east, California was still living the gold rush and the birth of San Francisco. But by 1882, some version of football had arrived in California. That's when the University of California first records its students playing something that was probably like soccer in Berkeley. Most of their opponents were athletic clubs from San Francisco that have long since gone extinct with names like the San Francisco Wasps, the Orions, or Reliance Athletic Club. This holds true up and down the entire West Coast. Students at the University of Southern California played their first game against Alliance Athletic Club in 1888. The early days of football in Oregon included a team fielded by the famous Multnomah Athletic Club, which still operates as an exclusive club for the business elite in Portland, though they've long since stopped fielding football teams. Again, much of this is down to California's history with the broader American Republic being dramatically shorter than states further east. But nonetheless, football teams out west have long dealt with a stigma because of it. Many simply believe that they're not as good as football teams in the rest of the country. That reputation persists despite a lot of evidence to the contrary. 
USC is one of the winningest programs in college football history. Cal had several periods of dominance, as did UCLA and Washington. Few programs have been as big in the college football conscience as Oregon in the last decade plus. The first time this stigma was challenged came in 1899. Cal was in their second year under coach Garrett Cochran, and they completed their entire season without conceding a single point. Coach Cochran boasted to the media that his team was as good or better than any of the East Coast Giants. His challenge was answered by a familiar face, Pop Warner. Pop Warner was in his early days at Carlisle, which we've already discussed in a previous episode. They'd upset Penn and crushed Columbia and had already established themselves as a force to be reckoned with back east. But remember, Carlisle wasn't a big, well-funded university like those opponents. They were a squad entirely composed of Native American students gathered from homes across the country to attend boarding school at Carlisle. They were always undersized and frequently underestimated until they weren't. So when Warner heard Coach Garrett bragging about his fellows at Cal, he knew the sound of a great team hungry for recognition and respect. Carlisle traveled to San Francisco on Christmas Day, 1899. When the game was over, Cal was no longer undefeated. But their stellar defense did remain unscored upon. The final score was two to nothing, Carlisle. Pop Warner's boys had won off a safety conceded by Cal's offense, which is an excruciating way to lose your first game of the season. But playing the deadly Carlisle team so well earned California a bit of reprieve from the reputation of West Coast football, at least for that one season. And while Cal was the beginning of college football on the West Coast and they fielded some historic early teams, they weren't the titan of early West Coast football. That place was occupied by their greatest rival, Stanford University. This period of Stanford's history is largely forgotten outside Palo Alto, but it shouldn't actually be that surprising. Football at the time was much less about the money. There was no NFL after all. These young men were playing because it was fun and they wanted to win. And when it comes to non-revenue sports, there is still to this day no one better than Stanford. It also shouldn't be surprising when you know who their first coach was, Walter Camp. A lot of the early figures in the history of American football would eventually make their way out west, Pop Warner included, by the way, but at least for a while, as he was with so many other things, Walter Camp was first, and he built a winner. In the 1890s, Sanford won 35 games against 14 losses with a smattering of ties thrown in for good measure. This period of dominance stretched all the way into the late 1930s before the explosive growth of football began to outpace what Stanford was willing to do to stay competitive. The beginnings of college football in the Pacific Northwest also came pretty early, though not quite as early as California. The University of Washington got started in 1889, Washington State would follow in 1894, and in the interim, both Oregon and Oregon State launched their programs. I mentioned that USC got their start playing against athletic clubs down in LA, but an interesting phenomenon kept them somewhat separate from the rest of the schools on the West Coast until after the founding of the Pacific Coast Conference. That is, Southern California was, in many ways culturally and economically distinct from the rest of the state. In fact, there have been multiple attempts to create a new state there throughout history, and the tension goes all the way back to settlement patterns immediately before and after the Civil War. 
but the result was that USC played a limited schedule from 1888 when it first started football to around the middle of the first decade of the 1900s when it finally began to travel outside Southern California. All this nascent potential finally fused together into something we would recognize today in 1915 with the founding of the Pacific Coast Conference. It took a few years, but by 1928, it had gathered most of the major college programs that existed on the West Coast at the time. For a fun historical fact that has very little bearing at all today, it was also briefly the competitive home for the University of Idaho and the University of Montana. The Pacific Coast Conference ran until 1959, when it was torn apart by a scandal that had been brewing for over a decade. It had to do with pay-for-play, potential fraud, a whole, it was a mess, it was a huge mess. But it essentially reformed itself just a couple of years later as the Athletic Association of Western Universities, which later became the Pacific Eight, then the Pacific 10, and then the Pac-12 as we know it today. Like I said at the top, that is changing again. I don't know what the future holds, but it doesn't look like it's gonna be better than the West Coast football most of us have known all our lives. That said, it's not all doom and gloom. Southern California is still home to some of the best high school programs in the country, and they are still head and shoulders above the rest of the country when it comes to producing elite quarterbacks and wide receivers there. There's still a place at the table for the West Coast. All we can do right now is hope for the best. That's our show. Thanks for listening. If you're feeling kind, I'd deeply appreciate a rating or review. I'm thinking the next review I get, I'll read it on the show, maybe at the end. We'll see how it goes. Anyway, if you have questions, feel free to reach out to me at Dogs and Autumn, one word, on TikTok and Twitter, or email me at dogsandautumn at gmail.com. And remember to subscribe to the newsletter at dogsandautumn.substack.com. Till next time, take care and have fun.